0: Prescription
1: from the doctor,
2: TC Martin. Largo, Pifio, Messi, la tiene Messi, Messi, Messi. Ahí está, Iniesta. Goal! Goal!
1: Goal! Cerebro, cerebro, cerebro. Iniesta. The doctor is now in.
3: more days of World Cup soccer and Argentina is through to the final. Tomorrow, Morocco and France. Talk about the favorites. Talk about the underdogs. We got that going on. We had that going on today as Croatia could not put together another run and they fall today to Argentina 3-0 the final. So tomorrow, the other semifinal takes place, France and Morocco. And then Sunday, The World Cup Final takes place, so we will look forward to that. Paul Buckpower Stewart's going to join us today from across the pond. One of our soccer gurus will get his thoughts, and we have not talked to Paul Buckpower, striker, pitch power Stewart, since France eliminated his home country, England. So that could be very, very interesting today. Look forward to that. Plus... We've got John Sassenti, the executive director of the Las Vegas Bowl. John, always a frequent guest on the program. And uh, it is time. Saturday, we look forward to the Las Vegas Bowl and the first rendition of the SEC versus the Pac-12. And this go-around, Oregon State versus Florida. And Oregon State, a double-digit favorite in this game. So last year, we saw the Big Ten and the Pac-12 square off. Last year, with Wisconsin and Arizona State, it'll be interesting to see what the crowd is going to be like coming up on Saturday. So we'll talk to John Sassenti about that. Eleven thirty kickoff, uh, Saturday as well, too. And we know Saturday's going to be a busy day here in Las Vegas because we got the undefeated UNLV runner Rebels on the hard court against the USF Dons. The big seven-footer, Bill Cartwright, coming to town for that. Kevin Kruger will be joining us on the show tomorrow. So we look forward to that as well, too. And also tomorrow, uh, a heads up. We're going to promote a little bit later, but uh, speaking of UNLV, Barry Odom, the new head coach of UNLV will join us tomorrow as well, too. So, uh, we'll get, uh, his thoughts on being the new head coach at UNLV. Um, but we start the show today. Very sad news. And we talked about it yesterday that, uh, you know, Michael Leach suffered the heart attack yesterday morning uh in his home in Mississippi. He was in critical condition and uh Michael Each passed away this morning. So very sad um to hear that news today. Michael Each passes away after having that massive heart attack. Uh was listed in critical condition um up until basically the time that uh he died. But uh very sad news on that today. Want to start the program off and uh, bring in our very good friend who covers college with ESPN, of course, Trevor Maddich. And uh, Trevor, sorry about the circumstances that we're having you on uh, today, but I definitely wanted to talk with you because I know you were you're close to this story, uh, and I know that uh, you've got a chance to cover Mike Leach for a number of years. Mike Leach, a 21 uh, year coaching veteran, Mike Leach was in his third head coaching stint. Um, and this one with, uh, Mississippi State. And the final time that we saw Mike Leach on the sideline was that Egg Bowl victory where he upset Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss. And, uh, we have so many memories of Mike Leach, just, you know, the air raid offense, his innovativeness, uh, you know, his quirkiness and that sort of thing as well, too. He'd always be, uh, pretty fun to cover at press conferences, but a very sad day to day as Mike Leach dies at the age of of 61. Trev, how'd you feel when you heard uh, about the news, first of all, that uh, he had the heart attack and then hearing that uh, he passed away earlier today?
4: I was deeply saddened, deeply saddened. He had such a joy for the game and everything about it. Uh, Joy of being around the game of of the players, of the coaches, of scheming, you know, the competitions. He He just loved every minute of it. And I I think, uh, you know, I I was my initial reaction was just a deep sadness, not only that he's not there anymore for the game, but that that his ability to interact with the game now is no longer there. And I I felt bad for him.
3: Yeah, very, very sad news, uh, you know, to hear this. And, you know, I mentioned that I know that you covered Mike Leach, and I was curious. I mean, how well did you actually know him, or what kind of interactions did you have with Mike Leach?
4: I think more than any other head coach wow. in the last, you know, dozen years uh, because of uh, my tours. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, he, um, I got to see him uh, at Texas Tech. Uh, in addition, you know, tours meeting the off season when I drive around the country and, you know, my own car, and my own, I'm paying for the gasoline, I'm paying for the hotels and I'm visiting programs, right? Um, you know, and I'll put in pre COVID, I would put in, you know, 10,000, 12,000 miles, uh, a year and off season doing that. Um, and you, you get to know people and I got to know coach Leach, um, quite well during those times. You know, I just talked to him at his office. Uh, being with him at practice, just standing next to him, watch what he does, um being on the whiteboard and have him draw up what he's doing and, and why it works and what it's about and all those different things. And uh, there's a number of things that stood out. One was that he, he is seen, I think, by casual fans as a finesse coach because the air raid, uh, the way he ran it didn't typically feature a whole lot of running plays. Sometimes it did, but often it didn't, and they thought that this this meaning casual fans that that meant that he was a finesse coach. It was a a seven on seven kind of a situation. Well, for him, balance was not was not um you balance between pass plays and run plays that you call it's balance of your playmakers getting touches, and it didn't matter if you threw it to it threw it to him, handed it to him, tossed it to him. it didn't really matter as long as his playmakers got touches and that to him was balance, because at his core, there's nothing finesse about, about coach Leach. He was a hardcore old school, hard nosed football man to his very foundation, totally the opposite of what a lot of people think. And I, one time I was up at Washington state and I was watching him in spring, spring practice. And the guys were a little loose with their focus at the beginning of practice. And so about, About forty minutes into it, you know, coach was trying to get everybody focused, and he's like, "Okay, blew the whistle." He said, "All right, start over, stretch, right?" And they they started practice over again. And I've had that happen, I think, once in my entire football career. It was in the NFL, actually, that it happened. And and that gets your attention because now you're talking about people's time, right? And you don't want that to happen again. And he made sure everybody was focused. He wasn't just a a finesse guy that let people do what they wanted to do and let's just throw the ball around the yard and have fun. No way, man. Uh, he coached a physical style of football, even though they threw the ball a lot. And so you saw his receivers, you saw his running backs and offensive line play with a physicality that's unexpected if you're not actually looking for it. Um, uh, so those things are all, um, you know, those, those are features of him as a coach, but also there's the, the side of him, the fun side of him. That people now I think are getting to know a little bit better because of all the outpouring of, of love for him and the, the fun things that he says and he does. And he does that because he's, he's just, a, he's fun. I mean, he just enjoys life. He, he's interested. In life, he's interested in, you know, insurgent techniques in Laos and Cambodia in the 1960s and 70s, right? And if he gets interested in something, he'll really learn it deeply, which is one of the reasons he was able to do so much in football. And I remember the first time I walked into uh, his office at Washington State, uh, he wasn't in the office yet. They just told me to go in there. And I about jumped out of my skin because there was a full-size mannequin of a pirate holding a cutlass right next to the door on the inside. I didn't know it was there. I walked in. There's this big scary thing holding a weapon next to me. I about, about jumped through the roof, you know, but, but that's one of the things he loved. He loved the history of pirates. He fancied himself in many ways as a pirate from the standpoint of doing what he wanted to do outside of what the, the hierarchy of authority thought that, you know, football coaches should be and what they should do. I think that's one of the big things that he brought to college football because, you know, he never played college football or I I don't think football on any level. As far as I know, He played rugby at BYU. He was a lawyer. You know, he got his law degree and then decided he wanted to go into football coaching. And he had some ideas that were way outside the box because he was not encumbered with tradition. He was not encumbered with the way things ought to be done and the way they've always been done. So he said, well, how should they be done? Right. And uh, so one thing led to another, and he completely, utterly, and absolutely changed the game of football at the high school, college, and NFL levels because of his thinking outside of the box.
3: Mike Leach's offense, very, very innovative Ingenious, so to speak, and it really, from a defensive coordinator's perspective, a, a nightmare. You hated to face his offenses, and, and you mentioned something about, you know, the lack of a running game, and he just, I don't know if it, did he just not believe in that, Trevor, or did he just believe that, hey, you know, we're going to throw the ball 60, 70 times a game because that is the the best and most efficient or quickest way to score? Why do you think that, you know, he was, he was so married to that offense?
4: Because he thought that was the best way to win, especially when he didn't have the the big horses. I mean, Alabama, my, Nick Saban, back in the day, very famously, uh, asked the question, is this where you want football to go? Is this what you want football to be? You know, up-tempo and and throw the ball over the place rather than just huddle up, line up with the fullback, and pound the ball like it's supposed to be. Well, Mike Leach was like, well, gee, if I had your guys, I I might think about that. But in the meantime, here's what I'm going to do. And, and it's not that he doesn't like the running game. I mean, you bet, look through back uh, some of his games, and he will run the ball an awful lot in some games. It just depends on what's working. But overall, you'll see that even when he doesn't hand the ball to his running backs a lot, he's still throwing the ball to his running backs a lot. And so that's, you know, the the concept that he doesn't use running backs because he doesn't hand it off, I think is, uh, you know, it's a misnomer. Mm-hmm. He, he's very much engaging those guys in the ways that he thinks will best help him win.
3: And we know a few years back. I mean, Mississippi State had some some decent running backs. Actually, you know, that went on to play at the next level in the NFL as well, too. So uh, that is a great point. You mentioned his sense of humor, the quirkiness, the dry wit. He was great. To see and hear with the interviews. And like you said, you know, talking about, you know, uh, the pirates, he would bring up, you know, pirates. He would bring up a lot of crazy stuff. I I loved it when he talked about like, you know, that the candy corn was, was ridiculous. It was a joke. I mean, he could go anywhere at any time. And especially during the off season when he would have some time to chill. I mean, you, I would hear some of these interviews would be downright hilarious. And it just seemed like that. That he was one of those guys that you you would love just to to spend a couple hours with.
4: Yes, and I've had the opportunity to do that, and, and I did love it every time. And but even during the season, I mean, he had a an interview uh, after the after a game with Alyssa Lang, uh, where she told him that she was uh, putting together her own wedding, and did he have any advice? <laughs> and so he went on he, you know, he went on a, a riff on what they should do, and basically he said you really should elope. And these are Mike, Mike's words, not mine. He told her, if you don't elope and you just have a big waiting wedding, every female in the family will, will basically torture you until it's over. So they'll all be mad at you if you elope, but then they'll get over it and it'll be a whole lot better. Uh, you know, and so he went on as to why he thought that was the right thing. And there's a lot of political correctness or incorrectness in that answer, isn't there? But that's another thing about Mike that makes him so ref- refreshing is that he did not care what people thought. Mm-hmm. He knew what he knew. He knew what he didn't know. And he was curious to learn more about both. And if you didn't like it, well, that was your problem, not his. And that was part of what was so refreshing about him.
5: Yeah.
3: Uh, innovative coach, refreshing personality. Uh, Mike Leach, unfortunately, passes away at the young age of 61 earlier today trevor we appreciate the time Uh, as always my friend we look forward to talking with you uh tomorrow we'll we'll talk some football we've got bowl games uh to talk about and uh including the las vegas bowl will be coming up this weekend i appreciate it my friend and uh we'll talk soon
4: thanks dc there
3: it is very rough day for that man trevor maddich today uh with espn appreciate him of course carving out some time to talk with us again the biggest story not only uh you know, from the college football perspective, but on the sports landscape as well, the news that Mike Leach passes away. ESPN did a, uh, a nice little tribute to Mike Leach. I wanted to share that uh, with everyone here today because it, it really tells a lot about the person and about the coach himself, Mike Leach.
6: All right, any
0: questions? <laughs> Do you believe in Bigfoot? What do you really want from Christmas?
3: Coach, I know you have strong thoughts on weddings. Go elope. Trust me on that.
2: That's a good win. There's a lot of people. It's like Woodstock, except everybody's got their clothes on. You know, this weird basketball pass. That was the beginning of the end.
0: Mike Leach was a martini mix of ingredients never seen before in college football. His coaching career, much like his 61-year-old life, was not only a road less traveled, but a road that didn't exist until he created it. His mind worked in mysterious, eccentric, and entertaining ways. He was an intellect and a football bohemian who didn't just push the envelope, he tore it up into little pieces. uh, This guy's going like this, eventually he's going to lose. How else do you explain a football journey that never included playing college football? That saw Leach earn a bachelor's degree? a law degree, and a master's degree, and then follow his heart, not to a courtroom, but to the sidelines, from the California desert to the coast of Finland, from obscurity to eventually head coaching jobs in the Big 12, the Pac-12, and the SEC. See, I'm gonna get my grandkids
2: one of these things. We're like one of the most constipated offenses on earth.
0: He was a singular personality with a singular offense that broke records and defensive coordinators' hearts.
2: Oh yeah, there we go.
0: (laughs) go. (laughs) Leach never met a topic or a microphone he didn't like. I think
2: candy corn's awful. You know, it's like fruitcake. I hope there's
0: Bigfoot. I don't think there is. His stream of consciousness moments could have been pay-per-view, and his office was equally eclectic. Pirates. Geronimo, and this masterpiece. Once in a while, a pirate can beat a soldier, you know? He won 158 games during his distinguished 21-year career, led 19 of those teams to bowl games, and was the national coach of the year twice. But Leach was bigger than life, not because of those numbers, but because of a personality that embraced all things unconventional, even his death. When people write the Mike Leach obituary, how do you want
2: to be remembered? Well, that's their problem. They're the one writing the obituary. I mean, what
3: do I care? I'm dead. Wow. Mike Leach passes away at the age of 61 after the complications of the surgery, after having a massive heart attack over the weekend. Mike Leach, like we talked about, very innovative coach. The air raid offense, he was in his third head coaching stint, had a 19-17 record at Mississippi State, 8-4 and four this season, and they're on their way to a bowl game. And the Bulldogs are prepping for that bowl game right now. They were prepping with Mike Leach up until the past couple days. Um, as of now, they are going to continue to prep for that bowl game in play against Illinois on January the 2nd. We have not heard anything different as of as of now. And uh, definitely, I'm sure they're going to be motivated to play for their head coach. Prior to Mike Leach coming to Mississippi State, remember he started his coaching career with Texas Tech from 2000 to 2009. And that's when we first began to get to know Michael Leach, know about his innovative offenses. I mean, every year his offenses there at Texas Tech would average over 45 points a game. Uh, From there, he parlayed that into success and went to, after having a couple years off, where honestly he had a couple issues at Texas Tech uh, with some players and some administration. And Mike Leach, you know, was one of those guys, like Trevor just explained to us, great guy, but again, he did things his own way. And uh, he did have some, you know, I don't want to say confrontations, but maybe some disagreements, different views, viewpoints on things with administrators at Texas Tech and, and some players. He went to Washington State, went to the Pac 12. He was there for seven plus seasons. Washington State, he was there from 2012 to 2019. He was a national coach of the year in 2018 for uh, the great job that he did, you know, with the Cougs. And then, like I said, he ends up at Mississippi State, and uh he had been there the past uh three seasons, and uh that record there nineteen and seventeen, eight and four this year. Overall, Mike Leach, 158 victories, 107 losses in his 21 seasons as a head coach. And like we talked about, you know, he was also known for his quirky personality, dry wit, and he loved talking. About history, business, politics, food, or whatever would come up, and uh, that's why I wanted people to hear from Trevor Match today because you know we've talked about you know Trevor's travels so many times on this show, and Trevor alluded to that where Trevor's travels is, it was an ESPN series that they would do during the course of uh, spring football and in, in the early summer where Trevor would drive across the country, like he said, paid for his own gas and travels, and he would pick and choose uh, about anywhere from six to 10 different college football posts where he would go and talk to coaches, interview players, watch practices, and that was his prep work for the season. There's a reason why Trevor Medich has 17 Emmy Awards right now because of his work there. And one of the coaches that he would make sure that he would try to visit on a regular basis was Mike Leach because he was really infatuated with Mike Leach's offensive philosophy. And Trevor being a former offensive lineman, national champion of BYU in 1984, and then, of course, his 12-year NFL career, he, he really loved talking to coaches regarding offensive football. And uh, so, yeah, he got a chance to know Mike Leach very very well, and I appreciate him sharing his stories uh, with us today. But uh, the sad news again that Mike Leach passes away this morning at the age of 61 from that massive heart attack. And again, a guy that was just coaching his team days earlier, prepping for the bowl game. And now we find out that he was not in the best of health. He had some congestion problems, he's dealing with pneumonia, and uh, where that led to the heart attack, uh, we have no idea, but uh, too soon for anyone to be leaving us at the age of 61. When we come back, we will talk World Cup soccer. We got more football to talk about. John Sassenti will join us as we talk about the Las Vegas Bulls. We get ready for that Looking forward to that, and a very busy weekend here in Las Vegas. But uh, again, starting the show off with the sounds of Mike Leach. There's a lot of beef looks like Woodstock, except everybody's got their clothes on. Coach, I'm getting married in nine days. Can you impart some
2: wisdom on my uh, for my fiancée? Well, it's so it's too late to rescue you. It'd be fun if there's Bigfoot. I hope there's Bigfoot, and there should be a lot more gorillas for. Um, Mascots. Hey, that's a, that's what is that? It's a little mustache. Oh yeah, there we go. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know. I don't even think he had a mustache when I recruited him. Um, On Earth, they say, "Oh, well, Luke. we're the only ones." We're, I mean, really, why? Have you been to the other planets? Have you checked out the other planets? The gravy's very key for, I think, Thanksgiving. And there's a reason they only serve candy corn once a year, because it's awful. Well, you know, I don't know how to do a Facebook. I don't have any video games. I don't know how to do those. Um, I shaved today, Um, put this hoodie on instead of the T-shirt. Because this would be embarrassing if I couldn't do this, okay? And I've always been able to do this. And even at the ripe old age of 76, which I am right now, I can do it.
7: I do exactly what I want to do. It's It's the the
0: doctor, T.C.
7: Martin. You say I'm insane? I say thank you very much. The doctor is
0: now in.
3: Alright, we got two more days of World Cup action. That's it. Tomorrow, got the other semifinal. And then Sunday, the World Cup final in Qatar. Or Qatar. Take your pit. Go both ways. You know, it only went one way today earlier. Argentina defeats Croatia. I'm very sad about that. My native land loses. I'm getting shut out 3-0. A lot of defensive lapses today. Not happy about that, but now I'm for Morocco. Go Morocco mole. That was a cartoon, wasn't it? Morocco mole? Chuck, you're too young. Maybe Paul Stewart knows what I'm talking about. All right. He is not Paul Buck Power Stewart today, but he is still Paul Pitch Power Stewart, Paul Stryker Stewart, somewhere I don't know where he's at. All I've been seeing recent photos of him in with a snowman or something with a carrot nose. And I don't know what's going on buried in some, some snow. I don't, maybe he is, he is part of the filming of maybe the new Quentin Tarantino movie, the hateful nine. I don't know if
5: that's going on. Paul Stewart. What's going on? My friend. Oh, uh, what is this World Cup you're talking about? We have no knowledge of this event in England at the moment. <laughs> of course, you know, because you got eliminated. You got swept away. You got kicked to the curb. You got buried in the snow
3: by the defending champions, France. What happened, Paul Stewart? I mean, you guys were all jolly, oh. everything. And then no show. Oh, oh, stand by. Hold on. Oh, yeah. What happened? Oh, oh, yes. That's Harry Kane missed again. Yes. Harry Kane missed again for the third time in an open net. What's going on? He can't hit penalty kicks. He's, isn't he your highest paid English soccer player around? What's going on?
5: Yeah, I mean, to be honest, England first lost to France in 1066 when they invaded our country. So we've had over a millennium. Why does it always come we, back to history with this guy? He's he's talking about the United States and the Boston Tea Party. I, I don't get it. Don't well, get it. We, we have all this history, as you know. So, we, you know, we've had wars and arguments with everybody, which is why everyone hates the English TC. Yes. But believe me, we, we don't like Australia. We don't like Germany. We really, really <laughs> hate the French because they're our nearest neighbours. They're only 20 miles away across the Channel. To lose to them at soccer... Oh, my God. The world has ended in this country. uh, What did the French ever
3: do to you? I mean, they provided French fries, French onion soup, uh, you know, uh, French vanilla ice cream. I mean, there's a lot of great French stuff there. I mean, come on. What's wrong with you guys? They're French. (laughs) That's enough. That's all we have to say, TC. They're French. (laughs) All right. So let's go back to that. We have not talked to you since... France defeated England. Uh, in your opinion, yeah. it, was it was it the mistakes? Was it the 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 missed uh, you know uh, penalty
5: kicks by by Kane? What went wrong, Paul? So they were two very very good teams, and if those two teams played ten times, they each win five. If they were that evenly matched, it was a case the the France score would say it was two one. The French took advantage of their chances; the English didn't. And England had two penalties. They scored one. They missed the other one. France had two or three clear cut chances. They scored twice. So it was a very evenly played match. Um, the English media have gone completely over the top blaming the referee for everything that went wrong even though he gave two penalties to England and, and watching it, it almost as a, you know I wanted England to win because they're my country but watching it almost as a neutral because I'm not a massive soccer fan anymore they were the you know they deserved their victory good luck to them if we played a game tomorrow England might win it was just one of those things that happens in the top level of world soccer TC. Mm-hmm. Alright the semifinal
3: today uh, are Argentina and Croatia was all Argentina. They win 3-0. What are your thoughts uh, about today's match? And, uh, you know, Croatia, they're not a high-scoring team. They're more of a defensive-minded team, but they love to extend the game. They love to get to extra time. They love to get to uh, to the kicks on the spot. That is the proper terminology. But today, uh, again, very sloppy in the back. But I'm very curious uh, what you thought when you were watching Argentina today.
5: Argentina are peaking at the right time. They are one of the two best teams in the tournament, and we'll come to the French in a minute. They totally deserve their place in the final. And right now, the question is, is Messi the best player ever, or is it Pelé? It's down to that level.
3: Really? I mean, so you're just going straight to uh, Messi to Pelé, and you're getting rid of uh, anybody else?
5: Yeah, I mean, Ronaldo has been a great player over the years, but he's passed his sell by date. Right now, if you're talking about who the best strikers are... In the history of soccer, it's Pelé or Messi. And right now, Messi is playing at such a high level, even in his mid-30s. He's, on, he's got a good chance of winning the Golden Boot to be the leading goal scorer. Argentina has scored 12 goals in this tournament. He scored five and set up four. So he is the main man. They play well as a unit. They were very good defensively today. Right now... I would say they are, they are the favourites no matter who gets through to the to play them in the final. All
3: right. All right, tomorrow we've got Morocco and France. Morocco is a great story, Paul, as we know. Uh, and if you, you do your, your homework, you go back and you see, this is not a fluke. I mean, this team has so many, uh, you know, players on their roster that play uh, in England, in the Bundesliga, they play in Spain. And what I love about watching Morocco is their fans travel. I mean, they are—they have just taken over these stadiums uh, in Qatar. Here, it'll be interesting to see what that crowd split is going to be like tomorrow for the semifinal, uh, Morocco against France.
5: Yeah, people are people are thinking Morocco—it's a real surprise that you know they're—it's an amazing story how they got there. They're ranked number twenty-two in the world. They are a good team. Now, yes, they're the first African team to make the semi-finals of a World Cup, which is quite an achievement. They they play a very defensive game. They went out of their way to to sort of play a sort of back nine at times try and catch teams on the break they've made it work they deserve their place in the final you know they've beaten some good teams to get there france will not underestimate them now france will be the favorites going into this game i fully expect france to win but morocco deserve to be there and it's not as big a shock as people think
3: did i mention french onion soup paul it's one of my favorites
0: (laughs)
5: or french bread (laughs) french bread
3: there's another one there you go keep it rolling my friend there you go exactly oh all right so you thinking so give give me a give me a prediction tomorrow what do you think is going to happen france are going to win three or four nil what three or four nil morocco hasn't
5: morocco hasn't given up anything like that what are you talking about 3 or 4 nil well we'll see we'll see i've got to get one or two predictions right remember i did beat you in the group stage competition of our world cup event and i'm so glad
3: that he said the group stage competition that's right it was the group stage. it wasn't the overall world cup winner paul because if you would have taken my advice and said you know, let's let's continue on you know Until we have a real winner, like we're going to have a winner here after Sunday, I got a feeling I'd probably be winning because I have been on fire. On fire up until today, my friend. On fire. I hit five in a row here. I've been all over this Morocco
5: bandwagon. Morocco was that a cartoon? Well, all I can say is, if you want to continue your winning streak, make sure you take the Bengals plus six over the over the bucks this week. Oh, look at this! Not only down. has not he, like... not only has he faded his
3: own English <laughs> soccer team, he's fading his professional football team in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We'll get to that here in a minute. Wow, in yeah. uh, uh, amazing! Uh, the fans there in England now have they just turned off yeah. the telly? They're not watching any more of the coverage here, or? or what What are their thoughts when England got eliminated less than a week ago?
5: Um, yeah, you're right. The World Cup has ended for them. So the, the nation stopped to watch the game. You watched it, watched it in your own TVs. You went to bars, pubs. You watched the game. And it was a big celebration, a big event. You know, the, England beat Senegal very easily 3-0. As I said, they, they got turned over by France on the day. And, yeah, to be honest, the... the Interest in the World Cup has now stopped. Yes, you might look at it, oh, that's nice. Argentina are through, here's the final. We've moved on to other things. And just for example, the England cricket team yesterday pulled off an amazing victory over Pakistan that has today dominated the sports pages rather than anything about the World Cup because we're a very fickle nation. We move from sport to sport. The, The one thing that did come out of this, the England defeat, and as I mentioned it earlier, was they were blaming the referee for everything. Now, we have... Former players as pundits, the same as you do on your half time and post game shows, and they have some, they have allegiance to their own teams. The way they behaved over England's defeat, it wasn't the fact that came missed a penalty, it was the fact that referees should have given England three more penalties, that every decision was going against them. But they brought in a Premier League referee who just said that's wrong. The guy's done exactly what he should have done. No, that wasn't good enough. We're going to have a go at the referee because we can't dare blame our own players. It was an indictment of the way football and soccer is covered here in this country it's too partisan it's too biased and people don't take a realistic view of it so to me that's a little bit sad but yeah the World Cup we've reached the quarterfinals. we were semi this last time one day we will get back to the final and win it like we did in 1966 I was only 15 months old when that happened but yeah it, it is a national sport here TC and everyone stops because England are now out we don't care anymore yeah. Paul Stewart joins us from England talking about
3: the uh, World Cup. Uh, you know, Paul, we were very apprehensive. I guess that would be the word apprehensive on, on how this World Cup would play out and be viewed. Uh, not just for people here in the United States, England, but all o- all over the world, uh, because it was in Qatar. How has it been in your opinion? and let's let 's first just talk about the action that we 've seen on the on the play, and you know how popular of a World cup has this been
5: I think now we talked about this a few weeks ago that we said the World Cup should not have been in Qatar, and that 's correct. everyone accepts that the minute the first game Started playing, the whistle went. People have forgotten about what's been going on off the field. Let's concentrate on the matches, on the soccer. It's been a really good World Cup. There have been some great performances, some major shocks... Some surprises, some new names, some old names. It's been everything that a World Cup should be. And I think as soon as the trophy is presented on Sunday, then we can get back to criticising FIFA for what should have been done in the first place. But soccer has been the winner on the field, not off it. It does
3: seem like, like you said, that the controversy surrounding this country and how they got uh, the World Cup has subsided uh, a little bit. Have you been hearing anything over the over the last couple weeks uh, about this, or has it just got totally buried?
5: I think it's become a little bit buried now. One of my friends, the guy, one of the guys who was in Apple Ditch competition, Ian Costain, was out there, and he's seen he saw games at all of the eight stadiums, and he said it was a great place to go as a fan as long as you didn't want the, what he would call traditional soccer experience of lots of drinking, partying. That wasn't there. It was almost a an event for the laid-back middle-aged sports fan, you know, the armchair fan who wants to go there and have a good atmosphere in the stadium, but not have any other trouble outside of it. So it, it was a success in one way, but as I said, it should never have been there in the first place. It was a bunch of bribes paid to FIFA officials. I don't, they can sue me if they, I'm going to say it. Everyone else has said it. It shouldn't have been there. And hopefully we can learn from that in the future. I don't think they will because FIFA is a very corrupt organization, but at least we can concentrate on what's going on on the pitch between the two goals and between the teams taking part. You know, I'm curious what is going to happen
3: with these venues that they, you know, spent all this money, uh, building and all the man hours that it took here. And, and, and again, the slave labor that, that took to, to build and erect, uh, these, these venues. As we know, uh, Qatar is not a, a, a big place at all. And we've seen this time and time again, whether it's World Cups or specifically Olympic venues, whether it's summer or winter Olympic venues where, after the games are over, these uh, buildings, these multi-million dollar, billion dollar now buildings go dormant and they're, they're not used. What do you think is going to happen with these, these big, huge 80,000 seat soccer stadiums? Because they, they, they don't, they don't have their own league. They, they can't fill these things. You know, I, I, I don't, I don't see, you know, the, uh, the B52s or YouTube or, you know, uh, Parliament Funkadelic coming to fill these stadiums and concerts. What is going to happen here?
5: No, you're right. The Qatari Premier League isn't exactly going to get big viewing because they haven't got any players. I mean, it like you said, it happens in Olympics events. I've been to Athens in Greece a few years after they had the Olympics there, and there were venues there that were just gone to waste, that were just weeds growing everywhere. But I also remember back in Atlanta in 96, one of the main stadiums being torn down straight away to build a a Braves, you know, be converted into the Braves Baseball Stadium. It happens everywhere, you know, where stadiums get built – because it's almost like the money's been made, it's done. Who cares now? We've had the event. We can count the profits, hopefully, and and go from there. So yeah, I think there are plans. One of the stadiums is being taken down very soon afterwards. But it's not just the the man the man hours that's been spent. It's the man lives that were lost in building it. There were lots of people lost their lives in building these stadiums because shortcuts were taken on safety. You know the stories that they tried to curtail them, but they they happened.
3: You know, we are going to be hosting the World Cup here in the United States, Paul, but it's not just the United States. It's going to be what a a a triangular situation with Canada and in Mexico uh as well. Uh, give me some thoughts on that because I I don't recall uh you know a country as large as the United States having to to share venues. It doesn't make sense. I mean, we saw that before in smaller nations. But what are your thoughts about this?
5: Yeah, the last Euro Championship was shared round between quite a few countries and it's almost become a way now of sharing the wealth around the different countries involved. I do get you wouldn't be able to take a World Cup to Canada, you wouldn't be able to take it well, it did take it to Mexico back in nineteen seventy. It's one of the first ones I remember watching. But I think nowadays, sharing it round a little bit, primarily having it in the United States, but having matches in Canada and Mexico. I don't think that's too bad a thing. In this case, a little bit of sharing the wealth, like, you know, the NFL and the other sports have done, going to other countries. I'm looking forward to that because, I mean, America's got more sports stadiums than any other country in the world that can host these things. You know, there's, there's... what, 50, 60 stadiums you could hold a big big event at? I know Tampa is one of them. I think it's Miami and Orlando are the two stadiums in Florida that are being used. But I think it's be, it'll be a great tournament. And I think whereas you had the World Cup in 94, it was too early for America to really get into it because the sport was still growing. Now it's become more popular as we've moved on. I think in 2026 it'll be a big event and more Americans will get into the Soccer World Cup because it's there on their doorsteps. You know, there's no doubt
3: about that. And I just think that, you know, if you're going to award this uh, to the United States, award to the United States. I mean, listen to these host cities. Now, this is the next World Cup. This is in 2026. It'll be Atlanta, Boston, Dallas, Houston, Kansas City, Los Angeles, New York slash New Jersey. So that'll put us at the Meadowlands, uh, Philadelphia, San Francisco, and the Bay Area. So, which means they'll be using Levi Stadium there in Santa Clara and Seattle. Then they'll also have uh, sites in Guadalajara, Mexico City, uh, Monterey, and then in Canada, they'll be playing in Toronto and Vancouver it just seems very very
5: strange and i i, I don't know I, I i just i'm not sure i'm i'm with this paul it's very spread out, I'll give you that I, I, don't, re- say, I don't really see a problem with it, um, the, yes there's a lot of travelling with a country as big as America, because you know it's, it's a 5 or 6 hour flight from one side to the other, it's not like Qatar where everything was been in with a space of about 20 minutes, um, if you had a World Cup in, in Germany example it's maybe an hour for, from one venue to another a maximum, I think they'll have to spread it out a little bit, at the moment they're talking about a 48 team tournament which I just do not see world. And that would dilute it. Thirty-two is the most you can have. It's got to be the best teams there. I'd say, I said. I think by the time you get round to in four years' time, people will be more bored with it, and it'll be a case of sharing the wealth. I, I don't see a problem, TC. I think it will be good. For soccer in america and it'll be good for soccer worldwide all right so
3: you've got four years to prepare yourself now you, you come to the united states once a year to go to raymond james stadium wherever in the heck that we're calling it now so you can mess around in your little pirate ship out there uh are, is this going to be a stop for you and i want to know which location that you would go to or would you just say oh forget the united states i'm going to mexico i'm going to canada
5: I don't know. I mean, it's a long time away for me. Um, I mean, I've been to most of the main soccer stadiums here in the UK for covering different events over the years. Uh, we'll have to see. We'll see what happens. England have got to qualify first because, I mean, you know, even can get a great, great team like Italy having made the last two World Cups. England have got to get there. And I think it would depend where England was based um, as, as a group stage as to what would happen. It would depend on the seedings. I mean, what are you talking about as far as qualification? If we're going to expand
3: this thing to 48. I mean, you're, you're going to get uh, countries uh, the size of, uh, of Maine or Massachusetts are going to qualify. What are we talking about here?
5: You know what? You can get Germany to get through again.
3: Oh, I didn't know that was coming. <laughs> there it is. I will agree with Paul Stewart, though. Yes, this World Cup is essentially over for, for both of us. As I said, with England, Germany, Croatia gone, it's over. But no, I, I'm I am still... I want to see Morocco win. I'm a fan of their style and people would say, "Oh my gosh, it's boring." Man, they play defense just as as well as anybody can. The way that they uh just execute uh that in the defensive side and then when they get their chances, uh you know, for for the break in the counterattack, it's amazing, man, and again, this is they've got real professional players on this team, like we mentioned, that uh, that play all, all around the world with their club team. so I, I'm giving them a shot, Paul. I'm giving Morocco a shot tomorrow,
5: Morocco mole and Secret Squirrel. What do you think of that? I'm old enough to remember those cartoons. Come over, <laughs> and Justin, are you going to put uh, one or two dollars down on Morocco, though, to win? Yes, That's I question. Yes, know, abso- Yes, I will. Absolutely, well, because I,
3: I have the last two. So I, I had them in the quarterfinal and uh, the, the last group stage uh, uh, match as well, too. So I've hit my last two in a row with Morocco. So I'm, I'm going to ride that streak, my friend. There you go.
5: Go, go for it. I still think France will win by at least three goals tomorrow. That, that's the verdict from uh, down here in snowy England where I, I live at the I'm moment. I'm going to
3: say this right now. The reason why I say that Morocco can pull the upset, it, and no one else is really saying it, is it because the French are sloppy. And they were sloppy against that game in England. I mean, they were sloppy. Committing those penalties and then falling asleep on the back. Nah, they're they're too sloppy for me, and I just think it's virtually impossible. It just doesn't happen as as we've talked about so many times in other sports, any sport. To go back to back championships, impossible. No, nope, I'm going against them.
5: Well, we'll see. My my trifecta for the next few days is France to beat Morocco by three goals, the Bengals to cover the spread against the Buccaneers, and the Lightning to beat the Seattle Kraken tonight. Oh, jeez. All right, you Homer. All right. Well, what do you think? What
3: what 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 happened to uh those Tampa Bay Buccaneers just getting throttled last weekend in the Bay area. 30 it was 35 nothing before you could blink. 35-7 the final. Is is it over now? Can we can we play the funeral march for uh the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? I know TJ Reeves will say no, but
5: but come on. I think to take Scott McKenzie's song, if you're going to San Francisco, um, at least try and turn up, which the Bucs didn't. (laughs) What is crazy, TC, is the Bucs could lose to Cincinnati this week. They could lose to the Cardinals on Christmas Day. And yet if they still win their last two games against Carolina Atlanta, they win that division no matter what because they would have all the tiebreakers against the other teams in the NFC South. And, and all they would do is earn a home game against the Cowboys and get completely annihilated. The Bucks right now are really struggling. They have a great team on paper with their names, but the NFL is played on grass. Now, in the old days, the offense used to call the offense three yards and a cloud of dust. The Buccaneers now have three yards followed by another pass for three yards, followed by another pass for three yards. That's all they can do. It's all short dink and dunk stuff because their offensive line is completely patchwork and and second rate. Brady doesn't want to get hit, so he throws the ball away as quickly as he can, which means there's no time for any D patterns. They can play, the other teams are playing 11-man in the box and just saying, come on then, what are you going to do? We're better than you, and that's why the Bucks keep losing.
3: Look at this man. Uh Paul Paul Stewart just if you if that team loses to Arizona, uh we 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 got some issues there. Uh, but but no, they are not playing good football, you know, right now. And if this is it for the Bucks, I mean, could this we see the turn of of This team kind of going backwards. I'm not going to say, you know, going back to all of those decades of futility that you had to live through, but at least you lived through some, some glorious uniforms back in the day. Those are creamsicles are outstanding, but don't you kind of get the feeling that especially if they're going to bring Todd Bowles back and then Brady's retired and this and that, that this could be it for the Bucks for a while.
5: I have no problem with that. Now, this is what's crazy. You know, I'm a very realistic fan, as you've seen from the articles I write on buckpower.com in that I would always take several years of struggling in return for glory and a victory. Mm -hmm. Now, if you offered the likes of the Detroit Lions, the Cleveland Browns, teams like that, if you said you could have one year of success, sell your soul for that, they would buy your hand off and take it. Two years ago, the Bucks won a Vince Lombardi trophy. I, you know, as you saw a few weeks ago, I got to hold both the trophies. I have no problem with them going back to the bottom of the, of the rankings, to struggling for a couple of years, to rebuilding. That is how the game works. That is what the NFL and parity is about. So I, I would not be worried if that happens. To be honest, right now, I do not want to see Tom Brady back next year. I think if someone else wants to take him, good luck to them. The Bucks can rebuild. They'll go with Kyle Trask at quarterback. He was a second round pick last year. It's about time we've got to see him play. We're stuck with Brady this year. You can't take him out now. He's earned the right to be there. But yeah, I'm very realistic. So next year when the creamsicle uniforms will be coming back for a game in 2023, it'll be a very different Buccaneer team, but one that's still got two Super Bowls in the closet to, to look at.
3: You mentioned the ice cold there, uh, Paul. Uh, you're in snow um I, i'm sure you had some uh, some broadcast stories there in the cold right
5: yeah so many years ago i, I was covering a non-local a soccer game and i would do halftime radio updates to the studio and after the game and there was a game i was covering where i was so cold i couldn't even write any notes down um, and it came to the halftime radio report. I had lived the whole thing, the minute or minute and a half I did on air. I did it completely from memory. And same with after the game. And I stood there thinking, and this is what I want to do as a career. Uh, that's the coldest I've ever been at a sporting event. And that is why I support the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and not the Green Bay Packers. Oh, oh how cold? What do you call cold? You Knowing you, it was probably like 47 or something. But what was the temperature? Oh, that one was, that was definitely below freezing. So down in the low thirties, it it was 27 here today where I live. Um, I've played golf in weather when it's been 32, 33, which is what I call four-layer clothing day when I play golf. But this was just standing around, covering a soccer match, and that's the coldest I've ever been at any kind of sporting event. 30,
3: 31, 32. Blimey! In Green Bay, that's the shorts and sandals weather for us.
5: Come on, man. There you go. There's a friend of mine, he's now the PR director of the Packers, Jason Whalers, and he used to be the associate PR director of the Buccaneers. And I remember saying to him, do you really call that a promotion? And he's convinced after 10 years. Yes, it is. He said, being in Green Bay is really special. I like the warm weather, TC. I like the warm weather, not the cold.
3: There you go. I agree.
5: All right, brother. Well, uh, stay warm, my friend. Lots of hot cocoa. And uh,
3: we'll talk to you next time.
5: Indeed we will. Take care, everybody. And go France. Three goals over Morocco
3: tomorrow.
5: Go France. He just told me
3: he hates France. You're English. You hate the French. You don't even like the French fries, the French yeah, onion this, soup.
5: This is but this is me beating you, TC, which is far more important
3: now. Go, go, Morocco.
5: Go, go, Morocco. See you later, Paul. Allez ah. ah. le bleu.
3: Allez bleu. <laughs> bleu. Paul Buckpower Stewart. Next time we talk to him, it'll be about football. Yeah! season's gonna end on a double doink doink
2: live in the entertainment capital of the world that's what you want to know it's the tc martin show yeah i don't know idea diagnosis <laughs> i had an idea and then
1: uh prognosis you know, i take the serious osmosis Was it's funny it wasn't it wasn't funny i wasn't laughing about it yeah it's not funny not fun. nothing's funny. But don't you ever talk about me? Yeah, the that idea. That's
3: the result you won't
1: get. It's the Doctor T C Martin. I don't
3: go out there and laugh, laugh. The Doctor is now in. Hour number two here on this terrible Tuesday edition of the T C Martin Show. We'll get some terrible Tuesday takes for you here coming up. Talk a little college football as well. That and a whole lot more. Las Vegas Bowl coming up this Saturday. Looking forward to that. Look forward to it each and every year. And this year, we got the SEC and the Pac-12 squared off. This will be the second year, the second go-around since the new formula and the agreement between the Big Ten, the Pac-12, and the SEC. Last year, we had a... Big 10 Pac-12 matchup between Arizona State and Wisconsin. And this year, the SEC comes to town. The Florida Gators. Now, the Gators do not having any great season. Only 6-6 six six this year. But Oregon State out of the Pac-12, a lot of people don't know too much about them. But man, they are good. They're ranked 14th in the country. John Smith, who is their head coach, just got a contract extension for the next five years. So congratulations to him. Those Beavers are going to be ready to play. And we're seeing a lot of one-sided action so far, too, with that line with people betting Oregon State. But looking forward to that coming up on Saturday, the uh, Las Vegas Bowl at Allegiant Stadium. Uh, Great bowl game. John Cicente and the group over there, they do a fantastic job of promoting uh, this event uh, every single year. So we look forward uh, to that on Saturday. And remember... They got a time change with this as well, too. 11.30 a.m. is going to be the kickoff for the Las Vegas Bowl, and that is a little bit different. Um, we've seen some different times before. We've seen this game uh, played at 4.30. We've seen it played at 12.30, 1 o'clock. But the reason that a lot of this got turned around is because, if you remember, on Sunday, the Raiders and the Patriots were deemed the Sunday night game going way back in the beginning of the season. And uh, considering the Raiders are having the season that they're having, not a good one, and the Patriots are kind of right now on the outside looking into the playoffs, even though the Patriots won last night, they flexed this game out of Sunday night football and they have now moved it to 1.05 p.m., which is... The time that you really don't want to like, you know, 125 is kind of the prime time for the afternoon slate. Or if you do get that Sunday night football game, you know, the whole nation, the whole world is watching. 105 is that very regional game, you know. So uh, that game got now moved to uh, 105, the Raider game. And then now, therefore, that the Las Vegas Bowl um, got got moved in a different direction, got moved up. So uh, we'll talk to John Cicente about that and get his thoughts. But uh, yes, Las Vegas Bowl, one of my favorites. Love going each and every year. Uh, LVBowl.com for tickets. It's Oregon State and Florida. Looking forward to the matchup on Saturday. All right, and uh, let's bring in the executive director of the Las Vegas Bowl, our very good friend, John Cicente. Johnny Sack, what's going on, my man? Hey, buddy. I'm.
8: I'm sorry. I kept you on hold. We we were. We were just getting the. We're literally getting the Florida players off the bus on the side of uh, Mandalay Bay right now. And I was. I was having a nice little conversation with uh, Coach Napier. And so I didn't hear the phone ringing in my pocket. I apologize. No,
3: you don't need to apologize. It's all good, man. I know that uh, this is a very, very busy time for you. And, uh, you know, we're game week. I appreciate you taking some time and spending with us. And you know how much I love talking with you, whether it's uh, regarding the Las Vegas Bowl, college football, or Las Vegas sports in general. So uh appreciate it, brother. And I know that this has been a major chore for you and this game continues to get bigger and bigger now the second you're going to Allegiant stadium and then now this is the first time we've got an sec team you know come to las vegas with all that being said john does that put a lot more on your plate or is it still crazy crazy even when you're going back to the days of sam boyd stadium
8: <laughs> yeah i th- th- there's a there's a big part of me that misses the days of sam boyd stadium mm-hmm. i'll tell you that um <laughs> You know, we, we, we had a nice little thing going out there. And, uh, you know, if we could ever put a roof on Sanboy Stadium, that would have been the perfect scenario. But yeah, the, the, you know, listen, the one thing Allegiance provided us is a, a, a great venue to attract these great conferences, um, and, and have them participate in the game. The proximity to the strip is great, um, which, which always uh, provides a better experience for the fans. So, um, so, so yeah, listen, at, at, at the end of the day, it's a good thing it, it's here. Um, I will tell you, it's just—it was a lot easier, a lot easier at Sam Boyd Stadium, that's for sure.
3: John Sassetti joins us, the executive director of the Las Vegas Bowl. Uh, before we to talk more specifics about the game itself on Saturday, John, I want to get your. Your take on the passing of Mike Leach. Obviously, we led with that uh, today. I uh, had some thoughts from our good friend Trevor Maddich, who has uh, interviewed Mike Leach so many times and got a chance really to know him. I'm very curious uh, about yourself. If you got a chance to, to talk with Mike Leach and I know you've had some interactions with him because his time at Washington State, they were always one of those teams that you were kind of, you know, talking about possibly. You know, inviting to the Las Vegas Bowl, but when you heard the news about Mike Leach's passing, uh, give us your thoughts.
8: Well, first of all, terribly sad news. Terribly sad news. I, I was a big Mike Leach fan, and um, you know, I've got I've got two great stories. Uh, that 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 one of them is, is personal to me, um, and not many would know. The other one actually okay. ended up becoming a a nice little thirty for thirty short. But one year, many years ago, uh, at the Pac-12 Media Day. Um, we we found out that the commissioner was doing a dinner, uh, that night for the VIP guests that were in town for for media day, and uh, we went up to them and we said, hey, you know what, what about the bowls? And they said, sorry, the Rose Bowl is the only bowl invited to the commissioner's dinner tonight. And so two or three of us bowl directors, we went down to the hotel lobby and we got we went there and had a drink. And Mike Leach comes down and he wanted to get a quick drink before the dinner, and he goes, are you guys going to this dinner? And uh, we said, no, coach, actually uh, only the Rose Bowl was was invited to this one. So we're gonna stay here. He goes. Well, hell, I'm staying with you guys and I didn't want to go to that damn dinner anyway. I'd rather <laughs> hang out with you guys. So let's do this. And so it became a tradition every year that at that dang commissioner's dinner, uh, Mike Leach would come down and drink with the three or four bowl directors that didn't get invited. Now, ultimately, we ended up getting the invite and, uh, and, and coach goes, I like it better when we're hanging out <laughs> just us in the bar, right? Like, so. Uh, just any and and listen, you tee him up on one question, and he goes and tells you the great the great stories. The, the the second one I had, it ended up becoming a thirty for thirty short. And for for your your listeners out there that um, that 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 can go watch it, I was sitting there with Coach Leach and Bill Moose, the old athletic director from Washington State, and and uh, we we had had a couple of drinks, and he's telling some stories. And uh, Kevin Sumlin comes over, the old Texas A and M coach, and Dana Holgerson from from West Virginia. And they start telling stories about when they were at Oklahoma. And they told the story about how Oklahoma was a huge underdog to Texas this one year, and they didn't know how the hell they were going to beat Texas. And Coach Leach came up with the idea to basically script out the first 30 plays, but have them all be fake plays. And he would have them on a sheet, and they got a graduate assistant to pretend to accidentally drop the sheet towards the Texas sideline. Well, the Texas coaches thought that, that, that they had hit jackpot, but they got a copy of the scripted playbook. Um, they didn't figure it out until the score was about 30 to nothing that it was a <laughs> fake one because everything that they were running on defense, uh, Mike Leach was running the complete opposite. And, you know, just, just a, just a unbelievable character and an unbelievable guy. You know, he, he, he always gave you a great sound bite, but he was a true, genuine dude who just wanted to hang out. And tell stories and and have a drink, and he didn 't care about all that other crap and 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 he will be missed he was he was always one of my favorites. I wish we would have had him in our game. We did not have him in our game but uh, but man, he would have been a really good time um, here in las vegas and and quite frankly, it was very close to us getting him this year i can 't even imagine what that would have been like going through this year, um, but we were close to having him this year and uh, you know the football world uh, will certainly miss Mike leach.
3: Oh my goodness. Uh, you know, I remember that 30 for 30 and I remember that, that story and that is that is classic, and you know when I think of Michael Leach, you think about the Air Raid offense. You think about his innovativeness, and you going. I remember when he first took the job at Texas Tech in, in 2000 and, and leading those Red Raider teams, and it was like a pinball machine, you know, went off. I remember Cl- uh, Cliff Kingsbury, one of his, uh, you know, quarterbacks, uh, you know, you know, back in the day, and of course, you know, we know, like you said, he went to Washington State, and then has been to Mississippi State the last. Last few years. Um, and I was going to ask you that, John, too, that, you know, when you got the, uh, you know, the SEC was going to be involved in this, I was really thinking, okay, cause, you know, we usually talk with you, you know, two or three times, you know, leading up to the bowl game. You always have kind of given me the update. Well, okay, we're looking at this team and this team, and this team. So in the back of my mind, I'm thinking like, Hey, you know, I bet Mississippi State is probably right in the wheelhouse where you want to go, because I know you always wanted to have Washington State in this game as well, too, because of Michael Leach and because of the offense when he was there. So tell us, how close was Mississippi State to maybe being in this Las Vegas Bowl?
8: Uh, It was so close. It was told it was 100% done, and we had already started talking to them about operations and logistics that's how done it actually was um and and you know there was a couple things that were going on in some other games and some matchups changed in other sec bowl games that 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 were unexpected and so at the very last minute some pieces got moved around um but it, it it was it was a done done deal uh for for a couple days there and so um crazy crazy to think that that, um, you know, he, he, he was almost here and you, you always start to, to think and listen, like, you know, what, would what would things have been different if he was, you know, at home preparing to take a flight here, like who, who the heck knows. But, um, but he, he, he was, he was definitely a character, brilliant, brilliant man. And he'll, he'll definitely be missed.
3: You know, John, in, in kind of an eerie sense, and I don't know if I'm sure in your mind, this you—it's gone through your mind about wow, what if? I mean, what if Mississippi State yeah. would have got there, and then this happens? I mean, I don't even know what you know how that would turn your world upside down and everyone else's to to go through something like like this when you're preparing for a bowl.
8: Yeah, I I can't even imagine, and and you know I I mean I guess uh you know the, the Mississippi state's supposed to play in Tampa. Luckily, they play on January second. Mm-hmm. I don't know what they're going to do. Uh uh, I would imagine the kids are going to want to rally around and and, uh, and do it for coach uh, and participate in that game. But, um, but at, at least they've they got a little time to figure it out. Um, I can't even imagine what it would be like if, uh, if, if that were to happen this week with uh, with our teams already here. Hmm.
3: John Sassenti joins us, the executive director of the Las Vegas Bowl. The game itself is Saturday. It's Florida and Oregon State. All right, take us through the process and, and how we got here with these two teams.
8: Well, for 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 us with the Pac-12, you know, listen, we 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 got a team that was the highest ranked available, um, which is great. Number fourteen in the country, uh, they they beat their rival head to head late in the year, um, and, and so uh, and and they haven't had a lot of bowl trips over the last uh, ten or twelve years. So so for us, we wanted a hungry fan base that was going to travel, that was going to be excited to be here, and and listen, we got the highest ranked team that 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 beat their rival at the end, so. For us, that was a that was that was a good call, um, you know. Like I said, with Florida, it's a little more complicated on the SEC side because there's a lot of moving parts and there's a lot of other bowl games that that, that have teams there. Um, but the, the, there were some moving parts. We we did say we were excited about having a a big brand from the SEC, a, a great fan base from the SEC, and uh, and and I tell you, we I, I, we're we're pretty happy that our first year with the SEC. You get you get a team. And a brand with the caliber of Florida—that's uh, that's pretty good.
3: So we know that the start time is at eleven thirty, and we've heard that the Raiders being flexed out of the Sunday night game at Alleg- Allegiant Stadium against the Patriots for Sunday night to move that game up. Did that have an effect on the start time? And, and take us through all that—how this went down.
8: It did. Um, you know, we we were uh, we were scheduled for four thirty p.m. 7:30 p.m. uh eastern time on the primetime spot on ABC. Um due to due to uh you know the 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 stadium saying that they cannot convert the stadium in time with uh with the flex that was put forth. Uh it it obviously put us in an uncomfortable position and certainly not a position that we wanted to be in or chose to be in. Um and 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 the only solution and and canceling the game was was certainly not in the cards. For us, and our only solution at that point was to uh, to switch places with one of our sister bowls, which was the New Mexico Bowl. Uh, we moved to eleven thirty Pacific, uh, and we moved from ABC to ESPN. So certainly not ideal, um, you know. Cer- certainly not what we were hoping for. We, we, you know, when we announced this game and this game time back in May. Um, but here's the situation we're in, and we're going to make the best of it. and We're going to make sure that everybody has a good time, and all of our sponsors, all of our local people um and 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 our teams.
3: Wow, that is a, a a crazy crazy story. All right, so the the new start time is 11:30 a.m. It is Florida and Oregon State. John, where you mentioned Mississippi State from the SEC, uh were were there any other teams that you were you were considering here whether uh from the Pac-12 or the SEC besides these two? Well,
8: well well the Pac-12 came, Pac-12 was easy for us. It came down to Utah, UCLA, Oregon and Oregon State. Obviously, Utah was out of the mix because they, they ended up winning that game and going to the Rose Bowl, and so then our decision came down to Oregon, Oregon State, and UCLA, and um, you know we ended up with uh, Oregon State for the reasons that we talked about. Right. Um, the, the 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 SEC side, man, that was changing all the time. We we had um, we had Ole Miss at one point. Um, I, I don't think Lane Kiffin was all that excited to go back and play in the Raiders building. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, as we all know, there was some history there with Lane, so I don't think he was too fired up about that one. But Mississippi State was in the mix. Florida was in the mix. Um, I'm, I'm 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 blanking who else. Where there were so many dang teams that were floating around there. Uh, Kentucky at one point was, was there. Was Arkansas a possibility? Arkansas was a big possibility. Yes. Thank you for bringing that one up. I got a lot of crap from Arkansas just recently because we, we were talking to them before selection Sunday and this was their number one choice where they wanted to come because their athletic director, um, was here in our game a few years back with Houston and he knows how well we treat people and, uh, and the job that we do. So he was fighting to have us here and I saw him at the National Football Foundation dinner and I said, look, we, we were all in on Arkansas, but you lost to Missouri. So that kind of, that kind of, <laughs> kind of killed it for you man you did it to yourself yeah. uh but maybe next time around
3: all right speaking of Arkansas uh Barry Odom uh comes uh, over from Arkansas as a defensive coordinator even though he was the head coach at Missouri for four seasons he is the new UNLV head coach uh, he's going to be joining us tomorrow uh give me your thoughts about Barry Odom as the new Rebels head football coach
8: well I I, I got an opportunity to meet coach Odom um the last Tuesday night at the National Football Foundation Hall of Fame dinner, I was introduced to him by, by Eric Harper, the athletic director. And uh, seems like a great dude. I I I only got to spend about five to ten minutes with him, but seems like a really really nice guy. Uh, I, I'm perf- I'm certainly not the guy to judge football car- uh, um, football coaches, but uh, one of my closest friends is a former football coach uh, who who coached in the SEC for a number of years and. And uh, he was the first call I made, and I said, tell me about Barry Odom. Well, he, goes, he goes, you're getting a good guy and a really good football coach. He goes, I actually tried to hire him at Florida a few years back, um, and it didn't end up working out. He goes, but you're getting a good guy and a good football coach. And, and uh, you know, I, I trust his opinion. If that's what he says, I'm, I'm believing him.
3: Yep, yep. You and I are kind of in the same boat talking to former uh, football coaches uh, that uh, have given him a ringing endorsement. Uh, most challenging thing for you organizing this game i mean was it the time slot thing or or is it something else
8: yeah the time slot does present uh, pr- does present a bit of a challenge uh, obviously when you're when you're shifting game times and tv and, and um your fan fest and everything that goes around the game that that obviously provides a big challenge um you know and and, and quite frankly navigating the stadium is 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 challenging at times um it, it's a big stadium a lot of moving parts um but 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 on top of everything, we we have we have eighteen events during the course of the week, and so all these moving parts are moving in every different direction, and they all have to go in sync. They all have to be aligned with each other, and so it it is quite the challenge. But um, we've got great people working for us that work really hard, that know what they're doing, and and so um, so we'll, we'll we'll be just fine.
3: Florida has arrived uh, Oregon State arrived yesterday. The teams are here in town to enjoy all the festivities. Talk about the festivities, John, either like from a fans point of view and uh, what they can experience
8: um well we, we we've got the um, we we've got uh, our our welcome reception down on Fremont Street on Wednesday night. Um, we've got some charitable things on Thursday. Um, you know Thursday night we're taking the teams to a show. Uh, we've got our pep rally on Friday. Um, we've got some more charitable stuff. So there's a there's a there's a lot going on this week. Like I said, uh, eighteen total events with the teams and the fans and and everything else. So it's a it's a it's a really busy week. Uh, it gives us an opportunity to show off our destination to everybody.
3: All right. And what are you thinking as far as tickets go? How uh, How is uh, the presale been going?
8: <laughs> not bad. Not not great, but certainly not 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 terrible. It's uh, it's been average. Um, you know, the good thing is people are excited about the game. And so, you know, we, we, it, it's, it's always a challenge to, to get off to a big, fast start when you don't, you don't know who your teams are until two weeks prior. So the good thing is we're moving tickets every single day. Uh, we're going to keep our fingers crossed for that last minute push. Um, but things are things are going well so far
3: all right uh, and you can get your tickets at lvbowl.com get those yep. tickets uh support this great bowl game it's at Allegiant stadium it's the sec with florida and the pac-12 with oregon state it is going to be uh fantastic so get out there and uh, and support that and before i let you go john i don't know if i'll have a chance to talk to you, with you before we get to the the semifinals. uh tcu and michigan and ohio state and georgia Give me, give me a shot, man. Give me, give me your take. Who do you like in
8: uh, both these games? You know, I, I, Georgia's good, man. And, and I, I listen to the football guys, and I say, if anybody can, and they all say the same thing: if anybody can challenge Georgia, it's a team like Ohio State that can air it out and throw the ball. Uh, I still have a hard time believing that Georgia uh, is going to lose. They're, they're they're so good. They're so good. So I'll, I'll, I'll take Georgia in that game. Um, and then, as much as this pains me to stay because I'm a I'm a huge Sonny Dykes fan. I, I, I think the guy's awesome. I, I got a chance to spend some time with him every year. I, I just saw him in town last week and he's a, he's a coach I really, really like and I really, really look for. And, um, but I, but Michigan's good, man. And I, I have a feeling, uh, Michigan's going to win that game, but TCU's been finding a way to do it every single week. So the good thing is that's the prediction I'm making, but I really believe both of those games can go either way. Um, but at the end of the day, you, I think you got to go Michigan and Georgia as a, as a prediction.
3: All right. All right, my man. I appreciate the time. As always, we'll let you get back to it. Uh, the hardest working man here in Las Vegas at this time of year, right, every year. Take care, brother. We'll see you soon. I look All forward man, to seeing you. On- I'll see you Saturday. Thanks a lot.
8: Thanks so much. Bye
3: bye. There he is. John Cesente, the executive director of the Las Vegas Bowl, a great friend and a long time, uh, guest of uh, this show for, Many, many years, and uh, I'm a big supporter of the Las Vegas Bowl. I am looking forward to doing it. Nupchuk, it's going to be tough for me. You know what my
6: Saturday's going to be like? I hear it's a little troubling. <laughs> it's a little like, troubling. It's just a little bit.
3: And and I got to have to blame. I guess, who am I blaming? Am I blaming the Raiders, or am I blaming the NFL? Because as you know, we've got UNLV, USF, a great basketball game. The Rebels are 10-0. The big seven-footer, the Dons. You know I'm already getting havoc of what am I going to wear to the game? Am you, I going to wear the scarlet and gray, or wearing the green and gold? Here's
6: what you need to do. Oh, jeez. Here's what you need to do. Okay. You need to get one of each, cut it right down the middle, sew it.
3: <laughs> That's too
6: much work. No, it's not. Not too much work. You know a
3: seamstress? Now, my mom was still alive, she would do it. Because Exa- she was yeah. the best seamstress in the world. I mean, some of the outfits, oh, you would you have loved it. You would have loved my my old disco outfits, oh yeah the 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 angel flights, the bell bottoms, all that oh the i my mom would make my clothes like that, hey, mom, I'm going to the club this weekend, boom i I'm gonna whip something out for you, yeah, she couldn't make my my platform shoes though I had to go buy those, but that was good, oh yeah, I'll show you some old pictures sometime.
6: I've yeah. seen some old pictures. Yeah. <laughs>
3: Yeah, you, you saw the long hair. You saw the perm. Yeah, you I saw, did. Yeah. Napoleon. Yeah, there you go. No, wrong. Not even close like that. No. But here's the deal. Now this game is at 11:30. I want to go to the game. UNLV and USF is at two o'clock.
6: We talked about this yesterday. You know what you're going to do. You're going go to go. You're going to go to the LV bowl for. I want to be there for the whole time. Go, go for, go till halftime or go until the game starts at UNLV. I
3: it, hope they kick off at 1130. It's not one of these you kick off at 1147. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah,
6: 15 minutes of right.
3: everything else. I mean, let's, let's go. But if they're in that New Mexico Bull spot, man, isn't that kind of insulting when you think about it? Here, you're supposed to be four thirty, five thirty, And then see, if it was 530, it was supposed to be. It would have been. I got no problem. You. Because as I say, do I get mad at UNLV for having a two o'clock game or. Did UNLV have the two o'clock game slated already because the Las Vegas Bowl was, was five o'clock five thirty? Probably. Right? That's what I'm thinking. So I have to ask Kevin Kruger this tomorrow. All right, we got UNLV day tomorrow. We got Kevin Kruger and Barry Odom back to back tomorrow. So looking forward to that. But yes, I'm looking forward to the Las Vegas Bowl. Always do. So Oregon State, Florida, eleven thirty is kickoff. Get your tickets at LV Bowl dot com. All right, we come back. Terrible Tuesday. And our resident comedian is going to join us. You know why? Oh, because it's his birthday. And oh by the way, as we know, December babies rock. T.C. Martin Show. There's only one thing we know for
1: sure. The Giants of New York took on the Packers of Green Bay. The Dr. T.C. Martin. He was a most ripping victory by kicking an oblong ball made of thick skin to a big H. The Doctor
3: is now in.
0: All right,
3: don't forget, we'll be at the Westgate, our Friday home. Come on by, see the show live, 2 to 4 p.m., of course, on Friday. Best bets and a whole lot more. Do that. And also, don't forget, we have got. Tickets to go see the Almond Brothers Family Reunion. Great concert Thursday night at the Westgate of Las Vegas, the International Theater. Uh, if you want to go, we got tickets for you. Just call Chuck right now at 702-221-7283. That's 221-7283 outside of Vegas, area code 702. Again, 702 702- It is the Almond Brothers Family Reunion Concert Thursday night. We want you to go. So call in and win.
0: It's terrible Tuesday. That's
3: terrible gone wrong
0: in the sporting world
1: that's a terrible idea i want to know what the hell he's
0: smoking something stinks in here
2: that's terrible (laughs) it's terrible
3: tuesday things gone wrong in the sporting world well, as we know, very sad day today with Mike Leach uh, passing away. It was great to have Trevor Maddich and John Sosente on giving their stories. Mike Leach suffers a heart attack over the weekend and was in critical condition and passed away earlier this morning uh, at the age of 61. Mike Leach, one of the most innovative head coaches in the game of football. Didn't win a lot of championships, didn't win any national titles, but his offenses were something special to look at. Uh, was in his third coaching stint with a 19-17 record at Mississippi State, 8-4 and four this year. Was at Texas Tech from 2000 to 2009. And, of course, Washington State from 2012 to 2019. National Coach of the Year, though, in 2018, and an overall record of 158 victories for Mike Leach in his 21 seasons as head coach, known for not only his great offenses, but known for his quirky personality, the dry wit humor, and a penchant for talking about history, business, politics, and just about anything else. And uh, just uh, a great fun guy to be around. So Mike Leach, may he rest in peace. All right. We transition into Chris Beard. Chris Beard, the Texas basketball head coach. Arrested for domestic violence, going back to four eighteen in the morning, this was going back on Monday morning. Uh, he was arrested for third degree assault of a woman, and now we find out that the woman was his fiance strangulation nine one one hot call that she a hot shot call that she put forth, and what a hot shot call is actually was came from the house. A hotshot call is when you call 911 and the incident is actually in progress. So they could hear a lot was going on here. Uh, Chris Beard was taken into cu- to custody uh, early that morning uh, into the Travis County Jail. He was eventually released later on in the day. And uh, now more details are coming out in this story. So in the affidavit, the quote coming from his fiance, and she says this, he just snapped on me. He became super violent. He choked me. He threw me on the bed. He bit me. Bruises all over my leg. Throwing me around and going nuts. I could not breathe. He did it for probably like five seconds. Now the officers were at the scene. They listed the woman as having injuries, including a bite mark, abrasions. She had cuts, bruises, a scratch to her right eye, and strangulation symptoms as it was told to police by her, that he put his arm around her neck in a chokehold move. Wow. Chris Beard, remember, was a guy that was the UNLV head coach for about three and a half weeks. He was hired to be the head coach. Talk about what ifs. Maybe it's not a good thing. and People were upset that Chris Beard selected UNLV, and then went back on his word as the Tubby Smithless left Texas Tech. That job opened up. He called that his dream job, and he went to Texas Tech for four-plus seasons. And then he gets his dream job, again, this one at the University of Texas, where he's been the past couple seasons. Well, University of Texas suspended Chris Beard indefinitely without pay after getting more of the story here. Texas actually had a game last night, and they played Rice. They won, actually, in overtime, 87-81. We actually talked about this game where it was a 29-point spread, went down to 24. How about this? Tex- they weren't ready to play. They were down to Rice at halftime. This game went into overtime. So those that uh, took this information from yesterday and went and bet it, I mean, good for you, smart there, as they barely won last night. But the bottom line is this is a tragic, terrible story and this could have been UNLV's head coach. And uh so maybe a good thing that Chris Beard did not coach at UNLV. We'll continue to follow the story, but Chris Beard doesn't look like he will be coaching anytime soon. <laughs> Monday Night Football last night, right? Talked a lot about the Patriots and the Cardinals last night. Well, Kyler Murray got injured on the first play, or the first series on a scramble. Uh That was sad to see. But we're going to talk about New England trailing early in the third quarter, 13-10. to 10. Now, they have the ball, and they're driving. They get down to the five-yard line of the Cardinals. It's fourth and three. And what do we get? Here comes Joe Buck. Joe Buck with that infinite wisdom that he has, where he says, ESPN Analytics say go for it. Yeah, just what I want to hear go for it. Fourth and three analytics. It's fourth and three from the five yard line. All right. You're down three points. You know what the TC analytics say? The TC analytics say exactly on what they did. What Bill Belichick decided to do. You kick the field goal. You tie it up at 13. Oh, then you're on your way to a victory down the road. Who and what are ESPN analytics? Please tell me what that is. Every Thursday, every Sunday, every Monday, we have to hear about fourth downs. And should you go for it? Should you not? Oh, the analytics come into play and they say you should go. No one ever says you should punt anymore. They say you should go. Fourth and two, fourth and three, fourth and four, fourth and five, fourth and six. Oh, if you're like the 40 yard line, the 45. Yeah, go for it. Where is this nonsense coming from? There are no analytics in football. I keep having to say this. There are no analytics in football. All right? There are so many variables. You have down, you have distance, you have score, you have momentum, you have matchups, you got injuries, you got weather, you got all kinds of things here. You analyze the situation for what it is and you make a logical decision based on your personnel, depending on who your quarterback is, depending Injuries? What kind of formations? What kind? What are they in defensively? That's what you may Analytics? Does analytics tell you any of that? Of course, they don't tell you any of that. They're analytics. There are no analytics in football. It's a computer. Does analytics say? Oh, it's fourth and three. That a middle linebacker is going to jump over the pile, going to jump over the center and tackle a tight end who's pretending to be a quarterback on a fake punt situation that's not even a fake punt because they were never going to fake the punt anyway?
6: Settle down there, buddy. Settle down. Do
3: you understand what I'm saying? Do you understand? Yeah. Yes. Yes. This is not baseball. All right? Are there analytics for C.J. Mosley of the New York Jets jumping over the pile against Buffalo when they're attempting a punt, but they really weren't attempting to punt? They're trying to draw you off sides. And guess what they did? They drew you off sides. They got the five yards.
6: Did you see the Buffalo players' celebration?
3: Yes. Yeah. Because that was they got, great. We got you. We got you. Exactly. You idiots. We weren't going for it. Is that analytics? Would analytics say that? Listen, this is not baseball. And as much as I hate the whole analytics thing, the bottom line is this. Yes, there is a place for analytics in baseball. Granted, right? You still got to have that, you know, gut feeling and analyze the situation. But football and basketball and soccer, they don't have any strategical play calling algorithms, analytics. There is no analytics or algorithms for that. And why do we hear this? Why do we hear people buying into this? Because we hear it in baseball. Well, someone says it in baseball, and then someone says it in football, so it's right? No. It's ridiculous. That logic. And do we we ever hear, until this last year or two, about this in football? No! Because there's no place for it. That's why. These sports are not correlated. It's nonsense. And, For some announcers and producers and directors for these broadcasts, to buy into this is ridiculous. It's stupidity at its finest. So stupid that they get these facts from the truck and the TV crew, and they're feeding these announcers, oh, say this. So what's Joe Buck do? He just dives right into it, right? Yes. A smart announcer does this. A smart announcer gets that in their ear set, and they don't do anything with it. They just say nothing. Nothing. Because you make a fool of yourself. We're talking about Joe Buck today. Sounds like an idiot, but it's probably fed in his headset. Ridiculous. Enough already with football and analytics on fourth down. It's a gut decision. It's a logical decision based on what you see in front of you. What has happened previous on this drive? That's it. There's no book that says you go for it on fourth and two, fourth and three, fourth and four, whatever it is. There is none of that. It's nonsense. <laughs> All right. You're familiar with glittering lights, Numchuck?
6: I love glittering lights.
3: You know, uh, glittering honestly, lights? yes. Okay. I went to Glittering Lights the other night. Sweet. Yeah.
6: Did you get the hot, choco, hot cocoa? Uh, you know I did. Did you get the kettle corn?
3: You know, oh, You know I did.
6: There you go. Except I took back the kettle corn. Why would you take back the kettle corn?
3: Because they wanted eight bucks for the kettle corn.
6: <laughs> so what? It goes to kids. <laughs>
3: Wait a minute now. So this is where I want to go with this. Because I'm on the fence whether I'm for this or this is terrible Tuesday material here. I thought it was very impressive. Okay? So the glittering lights at the Las Vegas Motor Speedway, I think it's a pretty cool idea. And when I got word about this, I said, okay, I'll give this a shot. Very impressive. But there is a downside here. The downside that I went through? I was in line for two hours and not you got to get the
6: speed pass. And
3: i, oh, I got to get the speed pass. What am I, at Disneyland now? i supposed to know this about a speed pass. I don't know nothing about a speed pass. No one told me about the speed pass. Hey, how come you didn't tell me about the speed pass? I wouldn't have known about the speed pass because I don't want to be sent for two, two and a half hours. And that's exactly what I did. Now, think about this. You're at the speedway. And I don't go out to the speedway very much. So I was intrigued. All right? All right? But I'm sitting outside. Your car is running the entire time. You're burning gas, all right, at four or five dollars a gallon. But I am glad the gas came down a little. Yeah, bit. that's nice. All right, but still, you're in a single file line. You're driving through and you're looking at Christmas lights. <laughs> Idea good, execution not so much. And here's what I'm talking about. You know what the price of this is?
6: Isn't it like twenty five a? Thirty
3: nine bucks. Yeah, a vehicle. Thirty nine bucks. To sit in the vehicle for two and a half hours and not even get in. And then once you get in, you know, you're in a single file line and you're going through maybe 15, 20 minutes of this. Okay. To me, I'm just not sure
6: about this. Now, hold on. Did you have the beat going or did you have Uh the radio station that they Uh planned?
3: I'm getting there. So I see a sign. I say, okay, good. So let's put on the Christmas music. I didn't go to the beat. I didn't go my – but guess what I had to do? I had to eventually get off of it because the radio station that they were promoting had commercials going. I'm driving through with commercials. Yeah. And then they had – do you it, know there was a six-minute stop set going on during this? Okay. Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah I'll, yeah, I'll you, give you that Do you know one. what I'm saying? And then here's the other thing, okay? I'm going through the lights, and I'm seeing that. And I see a nativity scene. And you know, I'm big on nativity scenes. And what do I see? I see a sponsor light above the nativity scene. Yeah. And I'm not gonna tell the business, but it's for an auto body shop. I don't wanna see an auto body shop while I'm looking at at, at, at the mother of Jesus, baby Jesus. I don't wanna see that in my nativity scene. And then I've got other sponsors going on there. I'm just not sure about this. I like the idea. I like the lights. Oh. I really appreciate the work that goes into this, but I feel it's a money grab.
6: Did you see the I, Aces one? The,
3: I did. Just I, love Aces I love one. the Aces one. It's like actually really detailed. Wait, hey, wait For a guy who never gets out of his house, is this what you do on your vacation?
6: You went out to, no, to Glittering I, Lights? No, I went last year. I've went the last All couple right. years. I love it.
3: I feel it's a money grab. And I, don't, I didn't see anything about charity. I ain't see nothing about so, charity. I saw no sign say this money, this 39 so, bucks a, a carload is going to charity.
6: The, 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 money from that doesn't, but the, the kettle corn and the hot uh-huh. cocoa goes uh-huh. to okay. the Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, right. Scouts, whatever it all is.
3: Right. It all goes to the Speedway. $39 a carload goes to the Speedway. They're packing it thousands and thousands. They say, Oh, it closes at 10 o'clock at night. These poor people, it was 32 degrees out there and they were out there till 11, 1130 at night. You know, giving me the cold hot chocolate. Cold hot chocolate, nunchuck. I'm sorry. At four bucks a pop. The bag of kettle corn, eight bucks. Now, if that goes to charity, I wasn't aware of that.
6: It That's, goes to charity. There, it's, there you go. Yeah. Right. So it's just like buying cookies. Uh,
3: I love the idea. Cookies. The execution, the long lines, all of that. Money grab. I don't know. But glittering lights, like the idea. Let's clean it up a little bit. I got to say about that terrible Tuesday. Takes hit me on Twitter at TC Martin twenty one. Happy birthday to my man today. We know December birthdays rock. We know that our comedian extraordinaire Dennis Gaxiola has a birthday today. Where's my Stevie Wonder for Dennis? G. That's what I want to know, Chuck. What's going on, Dennis? Happy birthday,
7: brother. Thank you, brother man. Um, I'm still licking my wounds from Thursday night. I'm still hurting. <laughs> I was you know wondering, what? I was wondering,
3: man, I'm how you rocking. were feeling because three, you know, after the three victories in a row, we, we got you last on the show after the embarrassing victory, uh, the loss, I should say, to the Colts. So I didn't know if you came back around because you were anti-Raiders. You were turning in your silver and black
7: dress, man. Oh, no, 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 never. Even today, I'm rocking my Raider gear. Never turn my gear in. Never turn on my team, but I want the ownership to be as loyal to the fans as we are to them. Hmm. You know, it's, it's, oh my God, Josh Jacobs. This is not Madden. This is not a video game. Third and one, you've got the hottest running back in the NFL. You've got a stud fullback. And what do you do? You put the running back at fullback, you put the fullback out on the side of the line, and you put your star-wide receiver in at tailback and try to surprise. And the look on Devontae Adams when the play failed said it all. It summed up the season. What are you doing? That was the look that Devontae gave.
3: There it is, man. I know. it's uh, so, so now, is it all squashed? It's squashed this year, right? I mean, you're frustrated. You were frustrated three, four weeks ago. You had a little hope. But now here we go again. Now you got the Patriots coming to town. you got two home games left. Uh, are, are you coming to either one of these games, man? Or actually three home games left?
7: I'm so bonkers uh, on my schedule traveling. I'm not even going to be able to make one of the games. But... They've given us, even still, we have a little bit of hope. We should be looking at what what position are we in in the playoffs. We gave away four games this year. That is leadership. You do it once, it happens. That's an any given Sunday situation. Four times, it's leadership. And I'm a Derek Carr apologist. But, D.C., come on, man.
3: It's been bad, bro. It's been bad. So what are the birthday plans? That's what I want to know. Where are you at? What's going
7: on? You know what? I'm home, and I'm just chilling. I'm having a—I picked up some uh, ribeye NCAP steaks, which are the best steaks you possibly get. I've always been a filet mom. Yeah? But Wagyo NCAP steaks, they (laughs) melt in your mouth. The wagyu. wagyu. You so did. you've been following my post. There's no question. I I feel that oh, I, I deserve definitely. credit for this. Um. <laughs> yes. The wagyu you introduced it to me over at the steakhouse. Yep. In Henderson. But the end cap. It's a whole nother level, brother. It's a whole nother level. That that ribeye end cap. Uh. It's pricey but my god when you have it 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 downgrades everything else you've ever had because this is it's like it's like a cube of butter flavored of a ribeye. it's so tender
3: (laughs) and 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 you're right and i've had that too uh it's it's fantastic because it does not only melts in your mouth man but you got the marbling in there great flavor so good for you man there you go all right i want you thank you brother enjoy your birthday my friend and uh and uh, we want to see you here in Vegas, man. And, and that's if you're performing or if you're not performing, just to come hang out, man. We'll we'll go have some Wagyu together. You know that.
7: Uh, and some Freddy's, bro. Of course. All, right, <laughs> my, all the high-end stuff. I'm like, man, i got to go to a steak. I can't get Freddy's in the Bay Area, bro. I know.
3: There it is. And that's it. Hey, Freddy's for lunch and then the Wagyu for dinner. I got you covered, brother. Don't worry about it.
7: There you go. All right, brother. I appreciate you, brother. I'm going to have a mellow time. My kids are coming over. A couple of my grandkids will be there. It's going to be a good day.
3: All right, brother. All right, we're rooting for your Raiders. coming up on Sunday against the Patriots. I know you'll be watching from afar. Uh, We'll talk to you soon. But in all seriousness, my man, my my December birthday brother, Dennis Gaxiola, happy birthday to Y-O-U. Thank you, brother. There it is. All right, Dennis Gaxiel. You, right. you got it. All right. Uh, go check out Dennis, uh, Dry Bar Comedy. He's got all kinds of great stuff online. YouTube it right there. And, of course, uh, toured with the Latin Kings of Comedy and as well as, um, you know, Fluffy... Uh, Gabriel Iglesias as well, too. So one of our, one of our favorite guys, uh, one of my great friends. Love Dennis Gaxilla, And, of course, our resident comedian at the Sacramento Sports Hall of Fame uh, annually. All right. Uh, again, I want to thank everyone for joining us here today. Uh, John Sassenti, the executive director of the Las Vegas Bowl. Trevor Madich uh, from ESPN. Trevor will be back with us tomorrow with his regular segment. But wanted both those guys uh, to talk about... Michael Leach passing uh, today. Those interviews will be up on the website and everything is up on the website. So go check that out as well as our UNLV basketball article at 10 and 0. Kevin Kruger will join us on the show tomorrow and the new head coach for the UNLV football team, Barry Odom, will be on with us as well tomorrow. All right. In parting today, again, the very sad news of Michael Leach passing away the head football coach at uh, Mississippi State University. He dies at the age of 61 after complications, after having that massive heart attack uh, on Sunday. So Mike Leach, uh, hopefully appreciate our tribute to him today and the thoughts. And we will send you out today with more of Mike Leach and referencing the story that John Sassenti talked about, which was a 30 for 30 on ESPN with, uh, with Mike Leach. We'll see you tomorrow.
1: Everyone here knows about this game. The Red River
2: rivalry is heated up. Touchdown, Texas! Touchdown, Sooners! Williams got him on
1: the flip! But there's something about one of the games in this rivalry that, well, most people don't know.
5: I had heard this story before, but not in any kind of official or formal way.
2: Everybody likes a good caper, and everybody wants to know something the other guy doesn't know. Call it the Cotton Bowl Caper.
1: The year was 1999, and making his debut in the rivalry was a mysterious new character calling plays for
2: OU. I know that we got to do anything we can to get an edge and to try to keep them off balance and try to get them to squander as many plays as we can.
1: The Sooners were heavy underdogs and on Wednesday night just three days before the game, leach had an idea <laughs> more like a play script scheme.
2: We wanted to just see how honest Texas was so we decided to write up a script, a dummy script,
5: The challenge for Leach in the decoy script was to come up with complementary plays to the actual one. So if you were running a play to the left, you wanted the decoy script to say something was going to the right.
1: The next part of the plot, call it the drop. Leach used one of his players pregame to deploy the decoy so Texas would be sure to find it.
6: He's like, I want you to run past their sideline. And as you're running up the tunnel, I want you to take the script and act like you're putting it in your belt loop, let it fall out onto the ground. It was kind of the first real, like, uh, espionage I'd ever been a, a part of.
2: One of their GAs is wandering by and, oh, what's this? A piece of paper.
6: He looks at
2: it, and his eyes get kind of big, and he sort of hides it and looks around to see if anybody saw him get it
1: sure enough the fake play script made its way straight to the texas locker room
2: we all thought it was real because we thought that the alternative would would be just so far-fetched that that somebody would go through the trouble to create a fake call sheet and actually leave it and drop it you know where we would find it
5: Carl reese takes it up to the press box he starts studying the script, trying to figure out what defense they're going to call to match up the script.
8: When I wasn't calling defenses, I was looking at it, and uh, it was a huge distraction.
5: And on the second play of the game, the script says double reverse pass.
3: We were trying to get them over there to the
2: left. We hit Savage, and everybody was over to the left, and Savage was to the right.
3: So on first down, hyper. for Touchdown, Oklahoma!
7: It's very hard in the course of a football game to go back and see a wide receiver at any level of football that wide open. Going up top, Jackson, one-on-one, turns around with a catch to the end zone.
0: As the game went on, it was a catastrophe.
1: By the time it was 17-nothing Sooners, huh? Coach Reese had seen enough of the so-called script.
8: I grabbed it, watered it up in a tight ball, and there was a trash can sitting over the floor. I gave it a toss, and there it was. Got
1: rid of it. After trashing the script and calling their original defenses, Texas outscored Oklahoma 38-11 the rest of the way.
3: 48 yards come over to the end zone.
1: Nearly 20 years later, the caper has come to light, and
2: so has the lesson. The lesson is, is if it's too good to be true, it probably is. Don't ever try to pick up my scripts or steal my signals, because you don't know what may be in store for you.